here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> welcome to the vaccination hotline. Please wait. Uh, all right, I'll uh, I'll wait. I'll just wait uh, until until it tells me to do something else. Four days later, uh, please wait. <laughs> oh man! Seven the days way later. You said that the way you said that that was so improv, man. That was great. <laughs> you know, you there's a lot of hype about uh, America's uh, wonderful uh, vaccination success. Um, and yet it's still pretty annoying to have to get the appointment. I mean, you're, you're checking on, you know, 30 websites, you know, sometimes multiple times a day. And uh, I think only now it's, it's getting a little easier because we're at a tipping point where like we're at the majority of people have been vaccinated. Mm. I thought like if you're in Mississippi or something, it's super easy to get it. Yeah, that's because they're doing the anal ones there. <laughs> Mississippi has, has opted for the anal ones. And apparently, according yeah. to a conservative publication I, I read that will remain unnamed because they refuse to sponsor us, uh, the anal was actually a, apparently a genius political move because they knew that the state itself has such rigorous sodomy laws. They're so opposed to anything being put in the anal cavity that if they only mm -hmm. offered vaccinations anally, nobody would get them and they could uh, continue their sort of rebel status uh, which yeah. Mississippi is known for. So it's, I guess it's working. I think only seven people have been vaccinated there. Well, it's and, a little uh, bit unfair. It's a little bit unfair to them. I mean, it's kind of like if they, if they came to Chicago and they said, uh, the only way you can get this vaccine is by buying a, a gun. Correct. And I, I think that we'd have a lot of unvaccinated people on the north side of the city. South side would be fully vaccinated. Yeah. Fully. Wait, did you just use the bonics there? Did you say be fully vaccinated? Uh, I, I'm accidentally ending up with uh, what is known as Ave or African-American uh, dialect or vernacular. Is no, there's no more Ebonics, right? That's like yeah, uh, yeah. on PC, I guess. Yeah, unfortunately, in the 90s, that got so panned that uh, no one uses it, although it was actually a, a genius way of, of teaching literacy. Yeah, we'll, you, we'll you, save you were for big another on show. that. <laughs> uh, and what about, what about jive? That was also a term that was used in the 70s, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Jive is out, man. I don't even think people know what jive even mean, means anymore, unless they've watched Airplane in the last. Exactly. It's from the scene in Airplane. Yeah. Hey, bro. Let I it see, be, Jive. Bro. <laughs> uh, this, the, but it's kind of sad, too, because the, the city and really the country has a big issue vaccinating black Americans. Yeah. Yeah, well, because kind of, of that that thing, right? What was yeah. that thing? The, 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 that thing where they 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 they, uh, they falsely uh, shot them up with disease. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, what was that called? It has like some name. Uh, what is that called? Do you remember the name of it? Polio. The, the, no, the it was it was against what was it against? Uh, well, the experiment had a name, and and so now they they. They call it by name, and of course, yeah, there's no trust because of that experiment. I think they actually used the, Tuske the Tuskegee Airmen. Yeah, that's it. From uh, you know, they were the you know the Black Air Force of fighters. Yeah, from the that's it. That's it. That's the name. The yeah. and and so it's weird because it's like if you really thought about this in depth, right? Like I think on the surface you could say, "Come on, get over it. What the fuck? That was a long time ago. Science shows us that it works." 
But at the same time, it shows the power of kind of lineage and history to linger on. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, I, I do not blame anyone for just not trusting the government after something like that. Why would you? Yeah. I mean, it's why there's a lot of Jews who still will not buy Mercedes and BMWs. And that is not a joke. Yeah. Although less and less. <laughs> less and less as the, genera- <laughs> as the generations aware of. <laughs> you know, I think that's part of the reason so many American Jews have become so ultra reformed. Because they're like, fuck, I couldn't buy a Mercedes if I still sort of held on to the religion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's so if you follow that <laughs> way, of, if you follow that way of thinking, I think one could understand how, um, you know, so many black people still struggle in America to um, sort of be able to, to grow. Right. You know, they have been dealt yeah. this pile of shit that has just accumulated in terms of, you know, not being allowed to get mortgages to buy houses that then can be sold to make more money and move to a bigger house or pass on to your kids. You know, even though those, even though those laws were sort of rescinded a few decades ago, like the ramifications are still very real today. Um, Very much so. Yeah. And I feel like a part, you know, I don't want to make this the liberal rant here, but there's definitely a part of this country that like fails to even acknowledge that they're like, ah, it's bullshit. Get over it. Get a job, buy a fucking house. Um, Are you doing anything, uh, anything about it uh, yourself? I mean, you being in the, in the real estate uh, world. I do. I do. And I think uh, this is probably a good time to talk about that. What I'm doing is uh, I completely just avoid the community. I don't even yeah. work there at all. I think um, I, I would just be appropriating. I would be encroaching. I would be uh, just negatively associating for nothing more than profit. And I think instead mm-hmm. of doing that, I just avoid those neighborhoods completely. So someone contacts me and they say, hey, man, I found this place at like uh, 63rd and Halstead. And I go, oh, that's wonderful. That's really great. Uh, I don't work there. You know, but there's a lot of great agents that do. And so that's how I am helping the community, because you don't want my people there. My, my clients are the non-gentrifying gentrifiers, Right. I have all the, I, I have all the very um, quasi politically correct, very hip, very woke, uh, very with it, artistic sensibility or profession clientele who means well, and they'll go into a neighborhood where you know prices are depressed or lower, and they'll happily pay a premium for it because it's a much better deal than they might get on the north side of the city. And they don't do it for any reason to screw anybody over. They just want a place to live. They like the location and the um, type of architecture around there. And then little by little, other people do the same on the surface with no malintent other than they want to live in that neighborhood. And as Mm -hmm. prices go up, the people that live there can no longer afford the new rents. They can't afford the property taxes, which are tied to home values. Somebody Mm -hmm. says, I'm going to open up a cool kitchen here because it's a lot cheaper. And if I fail, I lose a lot less money. And uh, somebody with a very wealthy spouse opens up their dream uh, shop of knickknacks and other crap that no one really needs. And then uh, before you know it, you've got Soho. Wow, that's... uh, How how was that for a recap of gentrification? That that was great, although it was was kind of missing. It was very... uh, uh, gentrifier focus it wasn't uh the gentrified uh focus so what happens to the people who 
who move away, where do they go? Well, they have two choices. One is they go to Mississippi, they get anally vaccinated, and mm-hmm. uh, they live a happily ever afterlife. Um, or they get um, they go out to the the near suburbs, uh, and these are mostly towns that were built uh, post-war, but relatively shortly after World War II, and they have a kind of decaying housing stock. Um, a lot of the older white population. Like Gary. <laughs> not even Gary. Like they're just various towns around many American cities um, that are mm. that are not not so big like Gary because Gary was was a thriving uh, city. Uh, Michael Jackson didn't come from nowhere, people. That's right. He did. Yeah. Um, so they go, they go to these, they go to these towns um, that on their surface seem great, right? They've got big yards and homes, but they're actually very depressed towns. They, uh, they struggle with a tax base because taxes are tried to property values. Property values are generally very depressed there and sort of a lot of conditions that uh, seemed endemic to inner city are recreated to a degree in these towns. Um, and so it basically is just pushing the problem uh, to a different area. Um, so that's that's what I, happens. Do you think there is like uh, an African American person out there who uh, was uh, twice or three times gentrified out of their neighborhood? I think I just found a new contest for us. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are looking for the most gentrified out person there is in the city of Chicago. I mean, you get well, like, first of all, yeah. <laughs> the question is, like, you don't know what accent to do, right? Like, you're thinking like, motherfucker, man, I'm here five motherfucking times. But it might not be a black guy. It might be like, oh, yeah. no, I was like, I'm living on, I'm living in Lincoln Park, and then I, I went to Lake Rio. The Chicago has a whole ream of Appalachian people that yeah. came up, yeah. came up here like in the '40s. Um, and what's funny is you fucking know, like you see them, and they all have the eye. That is, that means one eye is like, and for all our listeners in the Marshall Islands and other parts of the Pacific that don't see this, the one eye is going the opposite way. Um, then it's supposed to go, as in not looking at you. Um, there's just a, a look off about them. The house is always has like a chain link <laughs> fence that's partially fallen down. And it's surrounded by McMansions um, and various <laughs> various cars in disrepair. And uh, but they've been here now for decades, and you know they they got the homes for next to nothing. So they've uh, they've had to yeah. move a few times. So it'd actually be a cool like contest to yeah. do this. Um, I'm sure there's some various immigrants of other countries who've also had to experience this. Um, what do you think? I mean, winner- especially, especially in the, you know, like, uh, the last, I mean, this is the gentrification is, is, is fairly new. It's like, it's like 30 years, I'd say, uh, uh, the world. Yeah, I mean, we, we can trace it. In got- Chi- I'd say in Chicago, I would say probably tracks the world. And so in this city, we trace it back to Lincoln Park. Really, it was Old Town, but you know, Lincoln Park was like the first area to undergo this. In really, in the seventies, it started there. I think in like the mid to late seventies, uh, in parts of Lincoln Park closer to the lake, there was even parts oh, of Lincoln Park that were still dangerous. And so, I have met families, primarily Hispanic, actually, uh, generally Puerto Rican, some Mexican, who have lived in at least three neighborhoods. I've met more than a few times. Um, and they've, they've, they've gone through this, no joke, where they've had to wow. move. Um, and of course, the conservative argument is, you know, if, if those people, um, you know, bought properties at that time, then they could have profited off it. But th- that's not always the case. Not everybody is of means to, regardless right. of house price, to buy a property. 
Uh, on, a, on another podcast that is, I think, equally as successful as ours, 99% Invisible. They have, mm. they have a big audience, I think, in North America. We have a big audience elsewhere. But, you know, not that I'm comparing, but just to say uh, they had a very interesting episode about gen uh, gentrification. Yeah. Uh, and they were uh, uh, they were saying that uh, gentrification was linked to the end of the Cold War. Have you heard about this theory? No, but I, I'm ready to be taught. So let's hear it. Well, actually, let's play a little uh, game here. What, what do you think is the connection <laughs> between the Cold War ending and gentrification? I love it. Okay, Bob, I'm ready to go with uh, choice number two. <laughs> let's see, for $400, was it, hmm, I'd say uh, the, the, the premature death of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the rise of Harry Truman uh, gave rise to wet panties among the young female population of America yeah, who close, quest, close. quested suburban uh, love. Um, actually, I have, I have no idea. I let's, think, let's, you know, strangely, you're, you're going in the right, uh, the right direction. Let's be um, serious. Let's be serious. So the, let's be wanna, serious to see. Yeah, go okay, ahead. So let, let's, let's rephrase the question so that all of our listeners can understand. All right. What well, I, I think you need to explain this to our listeners. So, uh, you know, people who are less familiar with, let's say, Western cultures and, and America. I think I think I think it's important that we even explain this concept of gentrification. Well, I kind of gave a very small primer before when I talked about my clients, what they do. So, yeah, that was that was very Chicago focused. So I, I think like, yeah. I, I mean, you did, you did, but it's, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, like, the, can you okay. do it in the context of like uh, Burkina Faso? Could you use like their neighborhood? Please? By the way, speaking of Burkina Faso, the we made fun of Chad a few episodes ago and the president just died. Did you know that guy was a warrior? I did not know. The the, apparently the president of Chad, who had a, a had a dictatorship for 30 plus years, um, but apparently was always fighting extremist groups at the expense of his own citizens. Um, so it's sort of arguable which one was better. Um, he would join his fighters. So this guy right. would like, he'd be out there on the front lines, like commanding them, which I, in a weird way, even though I'm not like a military person, I thought was kind of cool. So anyway, kudos to the uh, president of Chad who just uh, got killed. Um, to Burkina Faso, here's how it's going to go. You... I, I, got the, I got the map here. So it's like, if you're, let's say you're living in uh, Sisin, you're living in Sisin, which is, you know, it's an okay neighborhood. Uh, but, uh, but then you have the opportunity to, uh, like people, you know, are like, uh, Hey, we're moving to Pissy, which is another neighborhood. Why don't you just try to like, do the, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the capital of Burkina Faso is such an awesome name. I, I can't even say it. You have to look it up. Ouagadougou. Okay. That's, cool. that's the, that's the city I'm using. Ouagadougou. Okay. So let's, let's do Ouagadougou and just stick with Ouagadougou. So here's how it works. Yeah. Wagadugu for our Burkina Faso listeners, very excited right now. Put down your coffees, put down your guns, put down your video cameras. We know you like to make movies. In Wagadugu, there is a, a neighborhood that is relatively close to the city center, but it's kind of run down, right? It's, 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 it's been bombed several times. It's had decay. You're talking about uh, Zagona. Zagona, yeah. To, yeah. To the Zagonians out there know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And... Uh, somebody or some people uh, decide they'd like to live there because they want to be close to the city center of Ouagadougou uh, because that's where the action is. That's where work is. That's where the uh, vagina and penis is located. 
and uh, they get a they get a rundown place for like next to nothing. You know, probably like three shekels, four pounds, uh, a buck or two. Uh, it's a bargain. Um, it needs a lot of work, and there's still problems in the area. There's there's, there's no running water. There's uh, rampant crime, rabies, yellow fever. Everything's going on, but you, you paid next to nothing for a house. And generally, this person is uh, either a homosexual uh, of the male variety or um, an artist who is not very yeah. successful at their art at all and questionable at talents at best. And uh, then their friend comes and another friend comes. And before you know it, uh, 9, 10, 11, 12 different uh, male homosexuals or artists have, uh, have bought these properties and they start, they add color to it. They, they, they fix up these properties. They invest time because they have time. They're of a different uh, background generally than the people living there who tend to barely be, are able to make ends meet, uh, which are generally historical forces in action that we don't have to get into, but are common in all cultures. Uh, but the new people don't have to deal with the same uh, mental and realistic weight that the residents do. And so they fix up these properties. And other people who wouldn't initially move in there where the pioneers did say, wow, this, this is actually not so bad a neighbor. I could live here because most people want to live in areas where people are like themselves. And yep. only, only the initial pioneers don't care about that because they're more, they're the risk takers. They're the same in technology as we call the early adopters. Yeah. And now that the second wave of people have come um, sort of less gay, a little bit gay with maybe, maybe pie, <laughs> um, not quite artistic. Maybe they have a hobby, they scrapbook or something. Um, you know, these people begin to buy properties. They also getting good deals, fixing them up. Um, and then the first sort of uh, artist who came in there actually moves out and uh, sells his property for quite a profit. And people see that. Now they get really excited. And then more people want to mm. move there and they start doing what's called flipping properties. They just yep. uh, make them look pretty and sell them for money. And uh, it's just a chain reaction. And uh, so as all these people are, are doing that, the people that live there, um, A, they feel surrounded by people that are nothing like them. So there's a sort of feeling of being ostracized in your own community. Um, and the property tax system in many countries, uh, it's tied to property value. Um, so as the values of these homes go up, their taxes go up. So it becomes more expensive to stay in these homes. So they're forced to sell. Uh, landlords like to raise the rents on places because the new population will pay that rent because it's cheaper than where they would otherwise live. And so these are the forces of uh, gentrification. And they, you know, yeah, that, that's Go it. And, and so to our Wagadugus, you're now out of uh, Wagadugu. You're living in a, what, what's a co-host? What's our uh, nearest suburb the Wagadugans are going to move to? Uh, they're going to move to Zone D. Zone D is a total fucking shithole. It makes, makes, the a modern, shithole. makes modern day Damascus look like Paris. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and Wagadugans, 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 Gooders are pissed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is Waga 2000, which everybody wants to move to Waga 2000. It's very futuristic. It's near the Camp Militaire, but uh, ultimately, yeah, you do move to Zone D or maybe Katabet, Katabenga, you know, and then you're you're kind of fucked. Would, would you like to add anything to the Wagadugu gentrifier story based on your I, Amsterdam you know, perspective? I wanted to. I wanted to. I think it's a. I think you summed it up amazingly uh, well. Uh, so I, I don't have anything to add from that perspective. But I did want to bring in uh, an interesting gentrification that's happening in uh, Israel that I'm aware of. Oh, I and, love Israeli talk. Yeah. So 
This is a religious gentrification that happens in uh, Jerusalem. Oh, are they, and, pushing, are they pushing out the Hasidic? Because that would be awesome. No, no, the <laughs> other way around. No, Unfortunately, it's the other way around. So the uh, Hasidics uh, will, uh, and the way it works is, because uh, they're, they're growing uh, in numbers, and uh, they uh, also have a desire to expand in, within Jerusalem. So they're moving into uh, Arab neighborhoods. And the way they do it is uh, someone will go there and uh, offer uh, a higher price than market value for the place, mm. convincing the owner to give it up. And then the moment like one person is there, it's like there's a, you know, there's a bit of a colony and then more and more come in. And so it's a, it's a different type of gentrification that is actually, I think, moved by like a central movement it's not moved by individuals because they're overall they're they're, they're relatively poor uh, a lot of the hasidic people um so so it's sort of like run by i think organizations that help them out so and, do you, and donors there, and stuff is, like that do you think there's more of a, a nefarious backing to it in the sense that it's a way for them to basically grab more land to have more of the their their feeling of native soil back to them by, or no, it's just simply like housing needs. Yeah, no, I think it's a little. I I, I think it's a little bit of both. I but think I with Jerusalem, there's always that factor, the religious factor, and yeah, I think I it's a bit I, of both. I don't believe, in it, and it's never really talked about. I mean, gentrification is a total pejorative, but most of the people that are part of early gentrification waves have no malintent at all. Like they just simply want a place to live, and it's a better deal. They don't even think about any ramifications of, of what they're paying. Um, yeah, but the, the religious one, especially knowing the Hasidics, you can't trust those motherfuckers. Yeah, but there's a, I mean, there's, they see the world with such a, like, a distinct way. It's not like they're, like, they believe they're the good guys. So let, 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 let's digress slightly here, because you had a question for me. I got a question for you. I did. Yeah. Okay, you, you, you have, you're, 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 you're going to buy a product from a store, and the store, you go to three stores, one's run by an Indian. One's run by a Chinese person and one's run by a Hasidic. Which one's going to fuck you over the most? <laughs> so wait, Indian? What Indian, was it? Indian? Indian, Chinese, and Hasidic. Oh, man. The three, the three most aggressive, deceitful business yeah. people I've ever dealt with in my life. <laughs> um, you know, I want to know. Yeah. Think, think about it. Which, which one? I don't know. It, it, a, B, or C. I think, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I think so much of it depends on uh, on the context. So which country this is happening in, uh, you know, if it's in India or if it's in Israel, if it's in America. It's in the heartland of, of all three places. So none of these people have been acculturated to their new country, right? Like, so it's not like a second generation okay. Indian or third generation Chinese in Denmark or something. This is this is this is fucking raw. This is to the to the core. Um, yeah. Although the Hasidic sort of have uh, homes everywhere. So the Hasidic could either be Brooklyn or Israel or, um, you know, any place in between. And what, what am I buying? Uh, I think you're buying a pillow. All right. <laughs> um, I would say, I mean, just the, you know, maybe this is like the overconfidence, but like I would feel like the Hasidics would feel a bit sorry for me knowing that I'm Jewish. So they wouldn't go like full steam ahead. You know, they would, they would let me, 
that would let me feel like I got a bit of a good deal. I feel, I feel uh, like that. Hold on. Okay. So you're, you're sort of gaming our system here. You can't tell them you're Jewish because then the person could be, well, what happens if I was Indian? And maybe the Indian guy cuts him a deal. Um, I think that they would, I, I think beyond that, I think they would kind of know. Do you, you think you have that look? I got the nose. You look, you look like you could be Arabic too, though. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> After our conversation last week about the Arab envy that Israelis have, that's, I guess, a common, right. positive Yeah, comment. that's right. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think there would be something that they, they typically know. Uh, so I think they would know and they would ask or whatever. But I see you're, you're going for a double blind or a, a blind experiment. Oh, well, uh, by the way, when you when you were younger, did you did you wish did you ever have a little bit of Arab envy? Did you wish you were Arab sometimes? No, I did <laughs> not. It was it was not <laughs> it's not a thing. Because I definitely where I was growing up. I, I definitely had sometimes a black envy, but it was never I never thought about the social implications of it. Right. It was just on the surface. Like, yeah. Man, those guys are fucking cool. You know, yeah. good, good athletes, good looking, um, and they got big dicks. I think all men we appreciate that. Um, so I did have a little bit of envy <laughs> until I learned the harsh, the harsh reality of being black in America. Um, oh, so you really are you're you're racist from the time you're a kid. You didn't even oh you yeah even, you oh, didn't yeah. even fantasize about uh, being part of the minority class. I did not know. <laughs> <laughs> We were, I mean, we were projected, it's funny, uh, you know, based on our, our previous guest and what he said, but like, I feel like, you know, I, I'm the same generation and I, I experienced it differently. I felt like all of the visuals of beauty were those of the uh, European nature of Ashkenaz, of uh, even the language, like, so I, I kind of grew up in that in that world. Really? Are you serious? I just can't imagine a land existing where the female Ashkenaz Jew is considered a, an emblem of beauty. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing, huh? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Every time you know, I'm at a real estate showing and somebody comes in or passing on the street with conversation, I'm like, oh, God. I'm so glad I, I can pass as being a, not, not a member because... These yeah, I can. You can definitely pass as a non-member. Uh, you, you don't. You you have a, a a gentile, a gentle gentile look. <laughs> I'm wondering if I should get tested, but then I, I always I'm always fearful that I'm going to find out that my parents are not my parents. Oh, is that a fear? Yeah, but I mean, it, it's kind of a good thing because that could be a very positive thing, knowing my background. Um, yeah, but it's just a lot of work that I don't want to undertake. You but know. Didn't you do that or something with the My Heritage thing? And then I the did with the, with the, the guy Ancestry. in the Seattle. Yeah, I did that with Ancestry for more of the history, like grandparents ah, and history, stuff okay. like that. But you know, joining Ancestry—that's a whole mafia. You got to do auto enroll. They keep billing you every month. You know, I think better off not okay. knowing where you're from. So yeah, you got a Chinese store owner, Hasidic and Indian. Which one is going to screw you the most? Uh and I'm buying a pillow. Uh, I think uh, buying a, my, my my pillow, a my pillow. I think the the I think the Indian guy. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the correct answer is the Indian guy. I I I I, I, I talk I talk from experience. 
while I was routinely <laughs> fucked over by all three groups of people in various transactions. <laughs> Nobody knew how to re me like the Indians. I mean, they, 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 they were so... The Chinese are good. Let's not, I want to give them credit. The Hasidic, the Hasidic have a soft spot that you can tap into because you get them all going on God, they feel a little bad. Um, but the Indians, man, they are, I mean, I think one of my favorite memories is getting a candy bar and all the, all the candy was marked with, with an actual price that it costs. And in a regular kind of a grocery shop, not some like hard to find mountaintop place where you have to pay a premium for transport or something. Is this but, India or Jersey? This is India. But, but Jersey, okay. we, we, we could sub in Jersey for the same thing. And, and, and the candy bar on the back said something like uh, 20 rupees. And, you know, he wanted to charge me 40. He obviously saw that I was not Indian. I don't pass for that. And I was like, ha, 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 I don't think so, buddy. It's 20. No, 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 no. It's, it's 40. And so I argue with him and I was like, dude, it says it right there. So he gives me this excuse. So, of course, I do the walk away. And this is, oh, okay, 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 20. So now he's going to sell me the price that's labeled on the actual candy bar <laughs> as, if, as if I couldn't read the, the price. So I pay him and it gets better. Then he, and this is a classic India move. They do this shit all over India. He didn't have change. Yeah. Somehow he has so no he change. So he offers you something else. So he offers me like partial change or, or something else in the store. And so of course I take it away again. So, and then I go, I, I get ready to, he says, oh no. And then he gives me almost all the change. So he's missing like a rupee or two, which is the equivalent of like barely a fucking chiclet of gum. And I'm like, nah, nope, nope. Here's the candy bar back. So the third fucking time it took that long to buy a candy bar, I get my correct change and the correct price. Um, and that was not a one-off story at all. Wow. So <laughs> I think you were right. Good, good job. You win, uh, you win Thank a you. free, free, uh, free virtual round trip ticket to Delhi. Awesome. Thank you so much. And back to your question. How did the Cold War affect gentrification? The ending of the Cold War? Well, are you defining the ending of the Cold War as when the wall came down? Because that's most people's definition, like 89, yeah. 90. Yes, I am. The, the guy with the stain on his head, I believe they called him Gorbachev. Um, yep. How did the ending of the Cold War affect gentrification? Well, um, it, did, it did coincide with a, a sort of in, increase, like the, the wealth disparity was beginning already to climb. And so you had, you did have more people with money and ability to buy second homes with up. Um, are, are you saying how did it coincide or did you think Cold War, why did it cause it? Yeah, there's, I, I mean, again, this is very loose, but there is apparently a bit of a cause and effect uh, argument. Okay. I'm pretty sure, right, this is without doing any kind of Wikipedia and Googling, that when David Hasselhoff performed at the Brandenburg Gate after it fell, the German population was so blown away by his raw talents mm -hmm. that they knew that the only answer was to get closer to the heart of entertainment and society. And there became this very high interest in, in buying properties in cities um, that were the beginning points of gentrification. Um, and then that kind of spread to other countries as they saw what was going on in various German cities, you know, whether it be, you know, the East and Hamburg or uh, both sides of Berlin, uh, Munich, everywhere. So. How's that? 
That's it. That's pretty good. Well done. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> according to uh, to this podcast, they uh, argue that um, there was a uh, a decentralization process happening during the Cold War because uh, the people who had, let's say, the power. Uh, didn't want to be blown up by a nuclear bomb. So everyone moved to the suburbs, leaving the cities to the poorest people. But when the war ended, um, there was there was no no more fear of getting nuked. And so people could return <laughs> to cities. That's like... What do you think? I think that's awful. I think that's a classic, like, correlative theory that has nothing to do with, with causation. I mean, the... <laughs> The the direct <laughs> direct drive of of white flight is 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 pretty much considered um, a given now. You know, in in America, it had everything to do with um, the blacks that were moving that were migrating from the south into the north, um, and real estate industry primarily, who was uh, engaging in tactics known as blockbusting steering. You know, they basically were uh, in the federal government who was redlining. Um, it's a whole history to get into, but the fact is, is that um, this fear was amplified by players in the government and the real estate industry, and a lot more people than would have probably naturally um, fled these cities. And then, due to the bullshit loans that many blacks were given, as in other words, they weren't like standard terms for loans, and they couldn't afford the properties, and they were foreclosed on. And you just—that's when blight began. So. I'd like to know who came up with this Cold War theory and slap them around a few times. All right, I'll send it to you. <laughs> um, besides, in, in the city, you, 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 most houses and buildings have basements, which could be used as nuclear bunkers, no different than a suburban bunker. Fair enough. I mean, the, I'm not going to argue with you because you know the, the business better. I, I, did, I did like the argument because I think it talks about you know, like if you think about an iceberg model about how change happens, there are mm -hmm. things that you see on the surface. And I think this argument is talking about the things that are like the, the lowest points be beyond the depth of the surface. They are the foundations of what creates all the other things. And I think that's where the argument is. It's sort of saying there was a general fear in the air that led for example, white people to say, it's okay, I don't need, I don't want to live here. I'm going to live in greener pastures and also not be nuked. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, I like the theory just because it's, it's, it's kind of out there and you can sort of think about how it makes sense, just like the way anti-vaxxers can make you think that vaccines are, you know, bullshit. Um, but I think what we really need is to have a brawl, sort of like the outsiders but we'll do it virtually with the 99% uh, podcast. So maybe we can yeah. set, we can set that up and just go head to head with them and hear their, <laughs> hear what other, what other ridiculous theories they have. Um, does make me really crave a real suburban yard. Though. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't even know where we can go from here after figuring out the ills of society. Uh, absolutely. I, uh, I mean, I, I should have sent you this article. I was reading this um, uh, rebuttal by uh, this uh, New York Times uh, uh, writer who was fired recently for Leftist. things that he said. Yeah, he's a things that he said during a 2019 trip to Peru with uh, some 
uh, fancy high school from the States that traveled to Peru. And he was like the guest and he got fired for some things that he said there. And I found that a very fascinating story, but did he I call think, the, uh, did he, did he call the, um, the, the, the peoples of the, uh, of the area, um, li little people. Uh, he didn't, but he used a lot of different, um, uh, terms that apparently were very offensive. And as a result, uh, I, I think things escalated to a point where he did end up losing his job. Like the New York times got rid of him. And, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, I, I found it, uh, very, I, I found it a very fascinating story to, to go through, but anyway, I'm going to send it to you. Maybe we could talk about it next time. His name's, uh, Donald, uh, McNeil Jr. I'm, I'm thinking he, he should be the second half of the show after the 99 percenters. Yeah, maybe. You know, the, the Times has actually weathered quite a bit of uh, controversy in some of their firings and editorial decisions over the last couple of years. Um, they, they seem to not be as open-minded a paper as they once were. Yeah. Um, but I, I would like to see what he said because, uh, you know, maybe he just said Machu Picchu is just a big fucking cash grab. Maybe. Um you know, maybe he made some uh, anti-Asian comments. You know, they have uh, they have a, a somewhat sizable, uh, you know, ch Chinese minority there. Um, uh, Japanese, right, in Peru? Uh, actually, it's both. Yeah, Japanese and Chinese. Um, I forget it. The, the 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 Spanish speakers in Peru call them Chinamen. Yeah. Wow. That was their name for them. They would say Chinamen, but you're right. It is more Japanese. <laughs> you know, Fujimura. Fujimura. Wow. Great name, nice. too, Fujimura. Great name. Nice. How did you bring that back? That is awesome. You know, I think he's always had a great name for a leader. But you think about it, like, it just entails power. You know, he's got Fuji, right? The fucking great yeah. mountain of Japan. It's a mountain, yeah. Yeah, and Mora. And, just, and you want more of it, more of Fuji. Yeah, Mora is a great word. I mean, more. Um, yeah. So, old, old Fujimura. Who's your uh, who's uh, who's the pol politician that you think has the best name in the history of the modern history? Let's say modern history of politicians. Ooh, probably someone from Wagadugu. That's such a great name. He should just name himself Wagadugu. <laughs> um, I don't know Fujimura. Though I guess it's arguable he was actually a, a dictator. Um, I've got to got to got to got me on the spot here without a list in front of me, Suharto, kind of okay. Um, Amin, but that's not, actually, that's not great. Like, Amin, hey, Amin. That's kind of like a shitty name, actually. Yeah. And then plus his first name is Edie. Like, hey, Edie, what's up, Edie, you dirt? Like, Edie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, now, Mugabe. I don't know. Mugabe that also, that could, be, that could be pejorative. Like, hey, what's up, Mugabe? You got a little Mugabe for me? I'm thinking like how you would have been made fun of as a kid. Like I had this long running theory that part of Trump's ability to feel, um, you know, more powerful than everybody else and be sort of the ultimate bully was a great name, right? Trump. Yeah. It's fucking, it's, it's one syllable. It's got hard it's consonants it's easy. and it's a word that fucking means to be better than everything else. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, absolutely amazing and, and i do think uh, that that probably led to his confidence at an early age so names are, are not uh, they're under analyzed in society 
Do you have one that comes Just, to mind? Uh, well, uh, you mentioned Idi, Idi Amin, actually, because his official title was, I'm, I'm reading this, by the way, from, from the web, his official title was His Excellency President for Life, Field Marshal Al-Haji Dr. Idi Amin Dada, VC, DSO, MC, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the seas and conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general and Uganda in particular. <laughs> That's wonderful. That must be abbreviated with like eight letters. <laughs> I don't know. Trudeau is a good one. I think dictator Trudeau. Dictator Trudeau is great. Yeah. For my anti anti socialist um, friends. Um, I like uh, Bismarck. Bismarcky? Bismarcky. <laughs> yes. That was great. Um, Bismarck. Hmm. We should have our uh, listeners. Uh, they'll probably all of their all of their leaders are probably all dictators. Um, yeah, they should just vote in. I mean, <laughs> dictators. You mean in the nicest possible way, right? Absolutely. It's just a yeah. person who basically is not able to be removed from power. Sort of uh, like Chavez. Okay, name Maduro. Um, you, you know the the Asian ones. I think. Get discriminated in the e in the west because you know we, we don't associate those we don't really know those sounds um so that one is a uh, kind of I, I think pol pot had a very interesting name because his name sounds kind of he was so vicious but his name sounds yeah. so ridiculous it like, sounds like a soup yeah like oh careful pol pot's coming let's hide uh, to me it's it like, sounds like a soup like careful it's hot <laughs> but you know it's really delicious enjoy your pol pot don't get burned by Pol Pot. Uh, <laughs> we we have to start to wrap this up. So I did uh, want to just uh, okay. I did just want to find out from you. Do you have an updated plan for vaccination to get around the? Is it still very hard to get vaccinated in, in Amsterdam? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's getting easier, but there's no like like my bet is on June that uh, we'll we'll uh, most of us will get back at least oh, our that's first not, vaccination. That's that's soon, totally. yeah. Yeah, so I think that's what I'm going to do. There's still a little bit of me that's wondering if I could like sneak to uh, the U.S. in 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 May. But I I think for me it's also like I want to stay in the same time zone. I, I can't go somewhere for three weeks when I have trainings early in the morning. So part of me is just okay with it. It looks like I think they said, but I have to look it up that the um, curfew is going to be over next week. Oh, what, what, happens if you, what happens if you go out after curfew? Well, I, I found out that nothing for me because I'm a business owner. So I can just create a like a, a I can fill out a form. So I, I, I haven't <laughs> I've been living in this curfew because it's that, inconvenient. That, that sounds and, like and, privilege, buddy. You have privilege. Yeah, Your Moroccan neighbors oh, don't have that. It's yeah, it's total privilege. It's true. I, I think actually, realistically speaking, my Moroccan neighbors are more likely to have it because uh, immigrants have more businesses here than uh, that percentage wise. But oh, uh, but it is nice. probably it's probably still privileged. I would like um, to hear yeah. like a like a hipster Amsterdam white person yelling at a Moroccan for their privilege. <laughs> <laughs> I like at like 1130 at night, like yelling out the window, you know, go back, yeah, to, I mean, go back to your yeah. apartment. You have privilege. <laughs> Don't stop enacting your privilege. Get back to you. Yeah. You, you and your privileged uh, good food. We don't have that. You and your good food at home. Your tasty food. Your food with all the flavor. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, any last words over want? there? Is everybody, everybody in your household been vaccinated? Uh, so far, only the dog and myself. <laughs> yeah, I just got my second yesterday, so today I feel a little fucked oh, up. Oh, okay. My, 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 my wife has her first, um, and none of the kids do. I, uh, I find myself, I'm going to have to run here in a moment, but uh, for all the schools that have been open, which is to say the privileged schools, the non-public schools, uh, they've come up with a pod system so that the classes stay within their class. There's no intermingling. And if somebody gets COVID in the class, they all have to stay out in quarantine. Mm. And I find myself really pissed off at whatever parent whose kid got this. They, they, because of the laws and privacy, they can't disclose it. But I've been obsessing over this parent because after a year of the pandemic, we all kind of know how you can get it and can't get it. And it's pretty easy to avoid it. And um, this was during spring break that they likely got it. And it just seems like a totally irresponsible move that they did. And so everybody's kid has to stay home for 10 days. You know, they can't go be with any other kids. They can't go anywhere. Um, and it's, I don't know. I just, I feel like I want to really give them a beat down. And I'm figuring out the best way to shame them. Shame that parent. You're, you're, you're assuming the worst, of course. Yeah, I'm assuming that it wasn't like uh, yeah, some accident that they do wear masks and that uh, somehow they happen to be the small minority that got it. I'm assuming total carelessness. Like, you know, the parents went to some raging party inside and then uh, they came home. Hmm. Uh, oh, sp speaking of it, we, can, we, we have the corn to just say hi. Say hi. Don't, don't use my name, by the way. Daddy. Daddy, you can call me. <laughs> All right, and with, and, with, and with that, you hear the quarantine right now. I can't even have a moment of peace because this irresponsible person and the kid. We're, we're, can, can you say goodbye to her? I'm gonna, I'm gonna set you up on your meeting. Okay. Hello. I'm coming down there. All right, and to our listeners in Wagadougou and Points Beyond, we say God bye and Godspeed. God bless. Um.